LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. My name is Daniel Im, and I'm joined today with Gary Hogan. Thanks for being with us, Gary. Great to be here. Thanks, Daniel. Awesome. Now, Gary is the CEO and founder of International Justice Mission. He's the author of Good News About Injustice and The Locust Effect, Why the End of Poverty Requires End of Violence. And uh, I'm going to, we usually, Gary, we usually don't do a full bio readout, but I just wanted to read this part because <laughs> it's just, I mean, I, I love this. So before founding IJM in 97, Gary was a human rights attorney for the U.S. Department of Justice, where he focused on crimes of police misconduct. In 94, he served as the director of the United Nations investigation in the aftermath of the Rwandan genocide. In this role, he led an international team of lawyers, criminal prosecutors, law enforcement officers, and forensic experts to gather evidence that would eventually be used to bring the perpetrators of the genocide to justice. So this is where, when the Rwandan genocide was going, I mean, I was... Um, I'm young, but I'm not that young. So I was around <laughs> uh, yeah. during that time, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't to the point of where I was following it in the news. I wasn't of that age right. yet. So right. it wasn't until, I mean, blood diamond or different movies or, you know, as it kind of hit up into that service that I began to recognize the devastation of that genocide. So in light of all that, I mean, it's just so cool to see uh, the work that you were a part of with that and the work that you are moving forward in that. So Gary, give us a, a quick snapshot of how International Justice Mission was started, and then we'll get into the questions. Yeah, thanks. The, it does, in many respects, um, uh, start from that experience with the Rwandan genocide um, and it was, as you point out, it was 25 years ago uh, now. And um, I was sent over um, just a few weeks after that um, uh, genocide had, uh, had sort of uh, burned itself out um, and was given a list of 100 different mass graves and massacre sites and was given the task of um, trying to gather the evidence uh, against the leaders of that uh, just mass atrocity. And the thing that struck me so powerfully, there really was were two things. Um, number one, the very extraordinary tragedy, brutality of human violence. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as a as a Christian growing up in the church, I was very familiar with what the church is trying to do to care for the poor around the world in terms of hunger and disease yeah. and homelessness and lack of education. But wow, you can provide all of those kinds of goods and services to the poor, but if you don't address the violence that's killing and ravaging the poor, then most of those efforts uh, don't achieve as much as you would uh, ever hope. And so I just saw this incredible um, sin of violence. Hmm. Uh, and I saw that uh, the second thing was that this was really not a ministry that Christian people engaged. In other words, we did have Christian ministries to do uh, church planting and food programs and shelter programs and medical care and so forth. But if what the common poor person was facing was violence, the, the man with the machete coming after them or the, the, the rapist was assaulting the girl or um, the sex trafficker was um, 
uh, abducting the the children or yeah. the police were throwing the, uh, the, the, the the dads in prison to extort money from them. There wasn't a Christian ministry addressing that problem. So wow. um, I... Uh, and yet clearly in the scripture, um, it says in Isaiah 117, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the mm. widow. And so IJM started really as a response to that biblical call to care for the poor and to seek justice and to make sure that that uh, there was a vehicle by which Christians could be loving their neighbors who are uh, victimized by violent abuse and oppression. So that's how it got started. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I guess when it comes to bringing about other areas of healing and of community engagement and of feeding, I mean, you can do that, but if the root issue of justice isn't handled, then all of that can be taken away. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of the most painful, um, implications of that that we see is the way educating girls has a transformative effect in very poor communities. If you can just get the girls educated, it's probably the number one thing on the metrics that shows a community will get out of poverty. But at the same time, research is now showing that the primary reason girls aren't going to school in the developing world is because of violence, violence at the school, sexual assaults on the way to school, or violence in the home that won't allow her to go to school. So you can build all the schools and provide the teachers and so on and so forth. But if you don't address that lawless violence, uh, then you're right there. We're not going to make long term progress on on poverty. And also, we also live in a world today now where more than 40 million people are held in slavery. And so none of our programs of outreach are going to assist them as long as they are being owned by someone else and being abused in slavery. So these are difficult problems of violence that Christian people um, need to engage uh, as they try to share the the good news of Christ's love in the world. And so IJM has been built in order to give the church that vehicle to to engage that need in the world. Did you say 40 million? Yeah, this is wild, <laughs> Daniel. There, there are more people in slavery today than in any other time in human history. That 40 million is what experts tell us. And experts also tell us that that's more people in slavery today than were extracted from Africa during 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. So if we wonder, wow, how would I have responded to slavery, you know, back in the 1800s or 1700s as a Christian? um, And there were Christians on, you know, both sides of that. And, um, and yet we have a great history of, of Christians leading an abolition effort. Well, the truth is there's a, a horrific problem of slavery in our world today. And Christians have an opportunity to be the leaders in seeing that the, the God of mercy, the God of justice is still at work in the world. So with a, I mean, 40 million is a big number. And I yeah, know with massive. the pastors, listening in and the church leaders and they're thinking, Hey, how do I evangelize and reach out to my city? And even if you're in the biggest of biggest cities, I mean, when I was pastoring in Seoul for a couple of years, I mean, that was 23 million. I mean, that's half of that. And then it it didn't even cross our mind to how are we going to reach 23 million people? It was, how do we reach this small segment of a small segment of a small segment? Yet when you have the task of, 
um, bringing about freedom to 40 million people. I mean, how do you go about without getting without getting overwhelmed? Yeah. Well, the first thing is to understand that God is the one ultimately responsible for bringing an end to slavery in the world. God hates slavery. Mm. Uh, The whole Exodus story where God introduces himself to the world is by liberating a people from slavery. And so uh, God is um, uh, going to sweep slavery into the dustbin of history. We can just be sure Mm. of that. He's building his kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he also gives us this amazing dignity of responsibility of, of getting to per, uh, to participate in that. And Christians led the fight against slavery uh, in the United States, um, uh, uh, certainly in the in the British uh, Empire. We can think of William Wilberforce as leading that effort. Yeah, and here yeah. in America, it was Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison and. Um, uh, Sojourner Truth, and and they were all um, uh, proclaiming the truth of God's hatred for slavery, and then each just did their little part. Now, here's the thing that yeah. that that can cause slavery to end so quickly is that it's against the law, and so if you can mobilize law enforcement to actually enforce the law, slavery goes away because people do it just because because they, they can get away with it. When they can't get away with it, they stop doing it. So we've actually found the vaccine that ends slavery in this era, which is great law enforcement and great aftercare services for the survivors. And when Christians around the world in their own way partner with us to raise their voice – to raise the resources so we can support local law enforcement so they actually uh, send sex traffickers and slave owners to jail. And then when we provide great compassionate services to the survivors, we've seen slavery rates drop in whole cities and in whole countries by 70% to more than 80%. And so uh, this does feel like an overwhelming um, challenge, but... Daniel, I will tell you, I have been at this for more than 20 years and have never been more encouraged that we actually have a generation alive today that could see the end of slavery in our lifetime. And I'm excited that the church could be a leader in this uh, struggle in our world today. Well, that's, that's so exciting. That's so exciting. Uh, my wife, Christina and I went up to your headquarters in DC, uh, about a month ago at the time of this recording. And it was so neat to see the work that you're doing in aftercare and also, uh, just every team that you have up there. And man, I just want to commend you guys for, for the kingdom work that y'all are doing. Well, thanks brother. Thanks for, you know, coming and being here with us. There, there really is no substitute for presence and, that's why whenever um, there are pastors or church leaders who come with me or other members of the team to actually go see the work overseas to see the boys that are being rescued from slavery in West Africa from the fishing industry or girls who are rescued from sex trafficking in the Philippines or children being rescued from what is now online sexual exploitation in the Dominican Republic or other parts of the world. When people actually go and see it, then I I think there's just something in the heart of God that is poured out in compassion, but also the hope of God to see that, oh, there's a God of justice at work in the world and he invites us uh, to the fight. So it's been a privilege for us to um, 
have a role to play from the God of justice. And we're just eager to invite uh, the whole church to sort of find their place in this uh, witness for a God of justice and mercy and power in the world. Love that. Love that. And we'll, we'll get to that uh, at the end of the podcast, just giving our listeners a few ways to connect with you guys moving forward. But let's get into our questions for today. Yeah. And the first one is who are you learning from? Wow. I, um, I have been in this place of, of leadership where I have definitely had to keep learning all the time. I, IJM has more than a thousand full-time staff around the world, but I was employee number one 22 years ago. So every time the team grew by 10 people, I was running an organization I had no experience running, right? So I've had to mm-hmm. continually um, uh, be on this, this path of leader of, of learning. I, I learn a lot, honestly, from history. Um, Doris Kearns Goodwin is a historian. She wrote the team of rival rivals about... Um, uh, Lincoln's uh, leadership and the cabinet he put together of a bunch of his political rivals. Um, she's yeah, also right. written a, another most recent book called Leadership in Turbulent Times. I'm so encouraged mm. by learning from um, the challenges that have faced leaders in history. So Doris Kearns Goodwin has been great. Dallas Willard, for my own sort of journey of spiritual formation, is um, someone I'm constantly learning from. And then Ruth Haley Mm. Barton um, has been writing a lot of resources on spiritual formation. Uh, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership is a really great book. So one of my favorite books. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm... uh, I'm grateful there are these people who are so good at articulating um, the resources for spiritual formation and leadership, but then also the experience in history that gives you perspective on what might feel like your your overwhelming uh, challenges of the day. Yeah. Um, when it comes to spiritual formation and because you brought that up, well, when one of the things that I loved to doing when we were at, uh, at your headquarters, we couldn't enter the building. I think it was between eight and eight 30, eight 30 and we nine had to eight 30 and nine. Oh, eight 30. Yeah. yeah it, we, we had to get there before or after. And then there was that joint that all, all staff prayer time that, uh, we were allowed to be a part of. Can you tell us the, the kind of the origins of both of those? Yeah, so we have uh, this rhythm each day at IJM where we begin the day with a half hour of silence from uh, 8.30 till 9. It's called 8.30 stillness. And uh, there's no conversations or phones or emails or work of any kind. Everyone just comes to the office and does nothing uh, but sit uh, in silence with God to just spiritually prepare for the day. And so we take a half hour in stillness, just reflection and prayer. Uh, And then we uh, start work at nine o'clock and we work for two hours and then we stop. And then the whole team gathers at 11 o'clock as you uh, did with us to, um, uh, to pray together. Um, We simply welcome everyone. We, uh, note on a whiteboard, sort of what are the things we want to thank God for today? Uh, and we ask him for help in the things that feel too heavy. Um, 
and are uh, sometimes of very critical importance in that day. Maybe we've got a rescue operation taking place. Maybe there's some difficulty with um, uh, uh, some aftercare uh, challenges that our team is working through. But whatever it is, we'll be thanking God, and then we'll be um, asking uh, for his help. And these two practices really form then the rhythm of the of the day. And they came about the 11 o'clock prayer early on. Um, I took a little time away for some reflection, and I was just asking God in those early days of IJM, you know, is there anything about what we've been doing that really is not of you? Because uh, I would want to have us address it. And this phrase, prayerless striving, just came to mind. Because there was, because you can imagine, wow. right, when you're trying to launch a, a ministry, um, there's so much striving, right? So much work, so oh, much yeah. struggle. But there was this this whisper from God that said, but to the extent that's prayerless striving, that's just not of me. And so... From from that point on, we just decided, well, let's make sure that every day we stop what we're doing and we pray. And it sounds simple and obvious, but it's amazing. I talk to so many church leaders and ministry leaders, and they say, really, like, pray every day, like everybody together, like every day? And um, yeah, we do. And um, I'm so thankful for that time. And so that started uh, in the early days. And then after the first um, seven years, we started to sense these incredible miracles and that God wanted to actually pour more of his presence and more of his power out um, among us, but that we weren't really spiritually prepared to receive it. And so we decided we would mm. take a half hour every day and just prepare in stillness uh, for being present to what God wanted to pour out of his presence and power. And so um, I would think a lot of iJammers would say that the most powerful part of their experience of, uh, at iJam is not actually maybe all the amazing stuff that we see happen of justice and healing um, while those things do happen, it's also the way God just shows up um, in our daily rhythms of prayer and uh, and stillness with Him. Yeah, when we uh, when we participated in the eleven o'clock prayer time, and I heard all the work that was happening, like in progress right. happening. And it's like tomorrow there's a trial, this just right. happened and this, and it was just, man, it, it was so exciting for Christina and I to be there, to hear it and to pray. How do you, how, but how do you prevent that from just getting mundane and rote? <laughs> I mean, right, you sure. know, like I, I think there's some of our listeners who might be thinking is like, oh yeah, of course we can start this move, you know, th this, this emphasis on prayer with our staff and with our team, but how do you just keep it so that there's a freshness? You know, to that's, it? that's an amazing insight there, Daniel. And I will say that it comes from the radical nature of the love we're trying to extend in the world. That is to say, mm. this work that we're doing is not safe. This work that we're doing fights back. The evil fights back. Yeah. The um, We are trying to love people who are in 
some of the most desperate situations in the world, and we feel over our heads every day. You know, it's interesting. Mother Teresa said she couldn't imagine doing her work for more than 30 minutes without prayer. Now, why is that? Because wow. she was having to show love to, to people who are dying in the streets of a horrific slum. And for her to do that 30, even for 30 minutes required that she needed to be close to the resources of her heavenly father. And I think it will signal to us if we don't have a work that we, and ministry that we're engaged in that has us running to God in prayer it might suggest that we have found some cozy cul-de-sac of work that really is a bit more wow. tame than God would really intend. And so that's not about us going mm. out and, you know, doing scary rock climbing or something like that. It's, I, I think it's about <laughs> loving people who are really hurting. And if the church is engaged in loving the people who are most hurting, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, and the in the other side of the city or around the world, you will not need to, um, you know, um, gin up um, a, a, a lot of uh, sort of contrived um, prayer. People will be running to prayer, and I will say that our staff. Yes, it's a discipline. We, you know, we agree we're going to do this every day at eleven. But I think people at IJM run to prayer because they can't wait to recenter themselves in the strength of Christ uh, because of the great difficulty of the ministry of love they're they're trying to do. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating insight there because when you're out on the missions field or you are in desperation, yeah. I mean, we yes. run to prayer, right? Or when we are in a dangerous situation, we will run to prayer. Yet for all of our listeners who are leading a local church or in church ministry locally in their area, I mean, you are also in a battle yes. against the kingdom of darkness. And I think Right. So what does it mean? Right. What does it mean when we don't have that same sense of urgency and also create that time for our teams and I to think pray together? To, I mean, we're all in the same boat here, exactly as you say, that we're all engaged in trying to extend the rule and reign of Christ into places of where, where he's not known yeah. or yeah. where um, uh, there is evil or hurt and, and woundedness and need for healing. Um, but we're also extremely tempted all the time to rely upon our own gifts and resources, our skills, our techniques, our capacities, and 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 God intends to 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 use those things. But it is a very slippery slope where it starts to become the 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 the, the routine and the actually the embedded belief that the power to actually advance this ministry is going to come from me doing more, working longer, being more expert. And now at IJM, we invest in expertise and in, in great rigor of the work we do, but the deeper impact in the world of his kingdom is going to come through this, the release of the power of God in us and through us. And if this is God's work and ministry, why wouldn't we be talking to him about it throughout the day? And I, 
I, yeah. I do think we, we can just um, begin to lose that connection and get a little bit lost in, uh, in our preoccupation with, with, with ourselves and our spiritual adversary will just feed that. But if we take some time to reconnect with God uh, together, I, in our experience is that he, he rewards that very disproportionately by, by his, his sweet presence. I love that. Well, thank mm. you so much for, for modeling that in that way, because I know there are some listeners, you know, you're listening in you're like, wait a second, wait a second, eight 30 to nine, that's 30 minutes. And then, you know, 11 to yep. was 1130. Uh, yes. Yeah. So an hour a day multiplied yes. by every employee multiplied by everything that they're making. And for you guys, you know, for, for churches and for nonprofits, I mean, you're relying on donations. I mean, that is a significant financial it really is because investment. Because you actually, that, actually have to you know, <laughs> fill out forms about this because it is, it is how you are paying yeah. people to spend the time. And so there actually is a really massive dollar value yeah. that is turns because you know, time is money, right? So, uh, IJM makes a, yeah, a yeah. huge investment in this. But if we if we really believe the the things that we speak of in terms of of ministry and prayer and so forth, it's uh, it would just be absurd for us not to do so. And I will say, I was just coming from a a conversation with about twenty interns that we have here for the summer, and what I trust is going to be true because it's true with every intern class is the most impactful thing for their summer is going to be 30 minutes of stillness mm-hmm. in the morning and the half hour of prayer at 11 o'clock time after time. That is the thing that is most life-changing for their time here at IJM. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So, um, I know, we, <laughs> that's only question one and we're come on Daniel this, in, is, uh, this is you're you way know, behind five ish leadership <laughs> all right so let's move on to the next one which is what is the main point of emphasis for your leadership team right now yeah so uh we're looking at two themes together as uh, a leadership team because we've been celebrating 20 years of work and then and now we've got this 2030 vision that we're pursuing and we've tried to boil down okay what really matters as we pursue this work and ministry together um and what we've been sharing with one another is this idea that protecting the poor from violence which is our ministry is god's weight and we're going to do it jesus's way by god's weight it's mm. trying to make sure that we, especially as leaders, are not taking on our own shoulders the burden of bringing about justice in the world. Because many times this is what happens when mm. we're engaged in some sort of ministry, whatever it is, if it's a ministry of love and compassion to people in need, we start to take on the burden of the ultimate outcome and success of that, which of course we can't control. And over time, that burden just becomes crushing to us. And we either throw that burden onto our teams and then crush our teams, or we allow that burden to crush us Mm. and, and we burn out. And so what we've been wanting to affirm to each other is that this ministry, it's God's weight. He bears the burden. Yes, we have our little tasks and responsibilities to do, but the weight of it is his. Because what? It's his passion and it's his responsibility. So that's what we've been trying to emphasize with each other to make sure that we don't 
um, uh, crush ourselves with the burden or uh, steal the glory of this uh, with this idolatrous sense that we'll know we're the ones who are, are, are bearing the weight of this. So God's weight and then Jesus's way. We've tried to say, well, if we're going to do the work, we want to do it Jesus's way. And we've broken that down to two things. Mm-hmm. Jesus seemed to do all of his work in the world uh, by one, staying close to the Father, and secondly, teaching his teams to love each other. And so we're going to stay close to the Father and love each other. And uh, those are the things that we've been um, very practical, very simple, but boy, those are the foundational things we think, Daniel. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And that's where I'm, I'm as, as a church leader, as a pastor, personally, I'm listening to this and I'm like, man, what, how do I begin incorporating these practices in my church? How do we have the passion for the lost in bringing about freedom to the lost, just like you have the passion to bring about freedom to the enslaved, right? So it's just, yeah. I mean, I'm just super encouraged by all the, I think all the transferable concepts that, that I know I'm thinking. And also I'm, I'm sure our listeners are thinking about as you're, uh, as you're speaking. That's great. So when it comes to your daily rhythms, uh, what are two or three things that Gary must do daily and, and what benefit does it have for your life and leadership? Well, I think for sure, um, this discipline of reflection for me of, of, and I, I do it during the eight thirty stillness in the office or otherwise carve out at least 30 minutes to be by myself in total stillness with God. I think as leaders, this kind of daily reflection is so important because we need to know what's going on inside our own interior in terms of what are my fears? What are my anxieties today? What am I insecure about? What's bugging me? What's, mm. why am I so irritated? Why am I so on the edge? Because if I don't do an inventory of that sort of subconscious fears and insecurities and sort of uh, disordered affections, those are the things that are going to actually lead me in the day. And now that I'm a leader of a whole team, now my whole team gets to be led by my unconscious insecurities, irritations, disordered affections. And so for me, it's a daily practice of being in stillness, uh, by myself in reflection with God, prayerfully examining what's going on in my own interior and bringing those things and sitting uh, uh, before God with them. And almost everything that is hard about that on a daily basis is instructive, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. well, I'm, um, I'm anxious about this or that, or I'm so anxious, I don't even want to sit still and think about this. I want to get busy and get distracted. Um or um, somehow I actually think if I answer those six emails in this half hour, that's going to advance the ministry so much more than actually connecting to the, to the God who gave me this ministry. I mean, mm. um, so that's the one thing I believe is most powerful for me is reflection. Dallas Willard said, rarely are the things that disappoint us most about the way we behave or the way we act or the way we respond, rarely are those the, the product of careful reflection. Mm. And, and 
what he's helped me to see is that a lot of the things that disappoint me, I get angry or I get frustrated or I get irritated or I act in an unloving way or in a way that's not entirely truthful. Or whatever, Almost all of those things are knee-jerk reactions in a moment. But if I had a little more time to back up and say, okay, what's really true? What, what does Jesus really think about this? Um, I have a much higher chance to respond in the way I really want. And so uh, daily reflection, uh, discipline uh, gives me that extra, extra time to, to respond better. And then, so, I, yeah. So would you say then during that reflection, I mean, where does, do you do that hand in hand with the scriptures? I mean, what does that look like for you? You know, it varies. Um, uh, much of the time it is prompted by scripture um, usually uh, I will read a Psalm. Um, I also have, um, various resources that I use that will just place scripture before me, or I might be working through a, a certain passage, but, mm-hmm. um, what I'm, I'm at a stage of, of my own spiritual life where I don't need so much more information from the scriptures. I need to actually decide whether or not I believe what the scripture is clearly saying. Wow. And I believe something when I act as if it's true. Hmm. So I, I've been uh, studying the scriptures for decades and decades and decades. And most of my challenges uh, and weaknesses in my spiritual life don't come from what I don't know about the scriptures. It's what I don't act upon, what I don't, um, when it, when when it comes to the moment of life where I need to um, be Christ-like, something else uh, uh, comes out. So, yes, it's always and must be rooted in the scriptures because that's where we learn about life. And 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 mm. God speaks to us through his word. But I was raised a little bit in the tradition, which was it's all cognitive, right? It's, it's just um, sort of um, – um, learning ideas and yeah. doctrines and teaching, which is again indispensable, but um, I think for actually living out those teachings, um, to sit with them and examine what the actual reality of my life is as it is actually applied, that's where I have so much work, more work to do, and where I find so much more fruit. Um, so I can just. I can look at this scripture. I mean, of late, been looking at First uh, Colossians eleven twelve, which says, "May you be may you be made strong with all the strength of God's glorious power." Amazing. Mm. May you be made strong with all the strength of God's glorious power. Wow, it's amazing. Then it says, "So that you may be prepared to endure everything with patience." Wow. While joyously giving thanks to the Father who has allowed you to inherit, uh, to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Well, my goodness, the amount of reflection I can do just on that one passage of Scripture and all that needs to be, uh, that is offered to me, um, uh, I'm, I'm finding, uh, a season in which I, I want to sit with that scripture and let it go deep, deep into the marrow of my being so I can actually live it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's, that's, that's helpful. Thank you for elaborating on that. Uh, are there maybe one or two other things that you do on a daily basis? I 
love exercise. So I'm, uh, okay. that's really important for me, just sort of the, the physical health and exuberance of exercise. And it relieves a lot of stress, uh, for sure for me. Um, and then laughing with my family. Those, uh, if a day goes by where I haven't had a good laugh with my family, then I might be taking myself a little too seriously. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's good. Now, before we get into our fourth question, just a quick word from our sponsor. What guides your core beliefs? Are they founded upon solid truth or are they based on others' opinions or your own emotions? What you believe about your purpose and value affects almost every area of your life. And this is the premise of the new film, Overcomer. It's in theaters August 23. It's the latest from the Kendrick brothers, makers of Courageous, War Room, and others. This movie has inspired the creation of several resources. For small groups, there's the Overcomer Bible Study. For individuals, there's a book called Defined. Both are based upon powerful insights from the book of Ephesians. So to learn more about the resources, go to lifeway.com slash overcomer. That's lifeway.com slash overcomer. Now back to the interview. All right. So Gary, we're back and you mentioned, I, I love that, that if you didn't laugh with your family, you might be taking yourself a little bit too seriously. <laughs> uh, tell us what leadership in your home looks like and, and talk to us about your family. Yeah, I am just so fortunate that uh, I have the gift of a, of a family, a uh, wife, Jan, and four kids. Uh, all those kids are out of the home now. Um, okay. Uh, and so I, but, but it has been such a joyful thing to have the gift of, the, of a marvelous uh, family. And we've been through trials and difficulties, but the joy and love that we've been able to experience together, I'm so immensely uh, grateful to God. And I think leadership in the, in the home for me, I, I think that, that mostly comes down as it does to, in all things in just trying to love well. Um, I think leadership for me means trying to be of encouragement and, and service to others. Um, to occasionally maybe earn the, the, the trust if someone wants to make an inquiry about, hey, dad, what do you think about this or that? Because it's, you know, in many respects, you kind of move to that place of being a consultant, right, with your kids mm -hmm. rather than um, uh, much of anything else. And if you're invited in, um, then sometimes uh, some counsel or experience might be of assistance. And, um, but mostly that invitation comes from some sort of track record of, uh, of love and kindness and service and uh, trustworthiness. So I would like to, uh, in my home, act as if the things that Jesus taught were true. Um, and I think that usually is what ends up being the, um, the most powerful leadership service that I, I can provide. So you said your kids are all out of the home right now? Yeah, they are. So how do you then cultivate the relationship with them uh, still today with them not being under your roof? Oh man, the, uh, the, the gifts of uh, texting and FaceTime, that's, um, <laughs> it's amazing that's now. I mean, I have um, yeah. a son who's a soldier in, uh, with the army in uh, South Korea. I've got another son who's married and, um, uh, volunteering with IJM in uh, Uganda. And I have uh, hmm. two daughters who live in Seattle and 
Jan and I in Washington, D.C. And so we stay very connected just by sharing our lives um, and then over, um, you know, talking on FaceTime and texting each other and staying up to date and praying for each other. Um, my wife actually has an app that sort of collects and shares our, our prompts to pray for one another. And then just, um, expending time and effort to, to be physically together. When my son, uh, graduated from army basic training, the, we all flew out to be with him and the girls came back from Seattle and my son came back from Uganda and we, uh, celebrated that, that, uh, big achievement all together. So, uh, fortunately my, uh, kids just love being together and they, um, enjoy, um, us being together as a family. It's it's just about our favorite thing. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, as a, as a father, so my children are all under the age of 10. Uh, well, my oldest is about to turn 10. So yeah. uh, I, I've, I've seen even, even with my youngest, my boy, who's almost five, just how much he loves doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Like yesterday I was blowing leaves and he wanted to blow the leaves with me. Yep. So I was like, you got to have ear protection. So he ran inside, grabbed his earphones his right? Earphones, <laughs> and he came outside and he was holding the, you know, the gas blower with me. And we just had a blast blowing the leaves off the cul-de-sac yes. and into the yard. And just, uh, he was just helping me outside. He just loved doing what I was doing. So, uh, you know, I, for you to have been involved, um, having started iJam, you know, nearly 20 years ago and, and for your kids to have grown up in this environment, um, how do you find that your passion and love for justice has, um, kind of passed on to them? How do you see that in their lives? Yeah, well, you know, it's been, um, uh, a thing we've had to balance in a healthy way too, because yeah. on the one hand, I think we've tried to manifest God's passion for justice in allowing them to come to know God because uh, God is yeah, a God yeah. who loves justice. And so as they come to love God, get to know him through Christ, understand the word of God, they can see a God who loves justice. And they, as they want to be close to their heavenly father and share his heart, they'll be drawn to justice. And obviously um, uh, all along they would um, – share in um, learning about the the work that International Justice Mission was doing. We've had, you know, they've gone to all of our uh, big annual prayer gatherings, for instance, where we'd pray for two and a half days with the whole team and, and they would, you know, participate mm-hmm. in that. And we've had survivors of slavery around our dinner table. And we've always, of course, they've gotten to know the amazing leaders at IJM. So, but we also wanted to make clear that, that yes, this is uh, dad's uh, particular ministry calling, but there may be all other kinds of uh, passions in which God may be calling you. So yes, justice is fundamental to the heart of God, but a preoccupation with a particular justice ministry may or may not be your thing. So we wanted to make sure that they weren't feeling pressured into in the family business in a sense, but also free to, to follow the heart of God wherever he may be leading them. 
No, that's helpful. That's helpful. So this is one of my favorite questions and it's our last one for today. And uh, if you were sitting across the table from a 20 year old Gary Hogan, right? You were having coffee with your 20 year old self. What would you tell yourself about preparing to lead? Well, I think what I would say is to not worry so much about seeking to lead, but seek to serve. And as you Mm. do that well, people may in fact ask you to lead. But if you start Mm. out with the ambition of leading, there probably is some false idea about what leadership is, that it's about being in Mm. charge or it's about having authority or it's about having your way, um, when in fact leadership is, I think, and this is what I believe Jesus modeled, it's entirely about service. And if you, uh, uh, seek to serve people and to love well, um, I've seen over and over again that eventually over time, people will invite you uh, into leadership because they will um, trust you. They will see Christ in you and um, they will um, desire to perhaps follow you in a vision that you have uh, for how they might serve the, the cause of Christ in the world. So, don't seek to lead, seek to serve. And people might ask you to lead if you serve well. That's so good. That's so good. I see that uh, you, you you put it so well, you put it so well because there's that humility that's so critical in leadership. Yeah. And and we all know what it, what it's like to follow someone who is full of themselves. Yeah. Uh, we know in the scriptures yeah. what happens to people who are full of yeah. themselves yeah. as well. And I know none of us want to end up like yeah. that either. <laughs> so Gary, to all of our listeners, to the thousands of church leaders that are listening in right now, what, if, if you were to just, say something to them, give them an encouragement, give them a, a way to partner with you and lead their church to be more in line with God's heart around justice. Yeah. What would you want to say to them? Well, I would definitely say this, that I think God has set IJM up as a way to partner with churches sort of out of a cul-de-sac of safety and sometimes just kind of a groundhog day um, experience of the same old thing that doesn't really invigorate our spiritual life. And what IJM, Mm. I think, offers the church is a way to connect to this desperate struggle um, for justice and and practically the, the fight against slavery in the world that will draw your church with a utterly fresh, desperate experience of, of God that I can pretty well promise will enliven prayer, will enliven courage, will enliven a sense of adventure again in um, the, the work of God's kingdom. And our vehicle for doing this specifically is something called Freedom Sunday, where churches partner with us. Mm. There are thousands of churches who 
pick a single Sunday where we together rediscover God's passion for justice and then ask him to lead us in however he wants to use us in the world. And I can just promise that for churches that come forward and set that kind of day aside to um, be reacquainted with God's passion for justice in the scriptures and connect to the 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 life and death struggle against slavery that's taking place in our world, um, God is going to honor that by um, pouring himself out, reinvigorating that uh, great adventure into which he invites all of us. And IJM would be thrilled to be the very practical partner in, in making that possible. So just let, let us know if you'd like, go to our website, IJM.org. Let us know you'd like to uh, information about uh, f- celebrating Freedom Sunday with IJM. And um, uh, I think you'll, you'll find that just a, a massive enlivening blessing for your church family. That's, that's so helpful. And uh, for our listeners that have been through our leadership pipeline process, I mean, they know how important it is to have conviction, culture, and constructs if you want to bring about any change. And for you today to give us the conviction around justice, that this is not just a... Uh, just another program, right? It's yeah. not just another thing to do, but connecting it to the heart of God and it really being a meta narrative throughout the scriptures, God bringing about freedom to the captives. I mean, that, that was so compelling. And for you to offer up this uh, practical construct and a way to build the culture, right? This Freedom Sunday tool that you have. I mean, it's just such a practical and easy way to introduce your church into connecting to God's heart for justice. So thank you, Gary. Thank you for uh, the work that you're doing for your team. Yeah, just thank you so much for the kingdom work. Thanks so much, brother. And thanks for uh, giving me a chance to spend this time with... um, Uh, with your audience. Uh, I'm really grateful for the time. Fantastic. Thanks again for listening to the five leadership questions podcast. And I do encourage you to go to IJM.org and click the link to learn more about freedom Sunday. Thanks again. And we'll catch you next time.